Welcome to the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. I'm your host, Jeremy Richards, along with fellow U.S. immigration lawyer, Christine Jerusik. Today, we are going to be discussing immigrant visa processing and how that's been impacted by, by COVID and the restrictions that have been put into place, mainly on Ontario, Canada, and the shutdown of the consulate in, in Toronto and travel in between provinces in Canada and how that might be impacted by COVID and the significant de delays that individuals are experiencing in processing these cases in Canada right now. So when you file a petition for a immediate relative and an immediate relative as defined by U.S. immigration is a mother, father, brother, sister, or spouse or, or child, child of a U.S. Yep. citizen. And you file a petition for them through what is called a petition for alien relative, or the form that's used is USCIS form I-130. You could also file a petition for a fiancé if you're a U.S. citizen, and that's typically filed through what is called USCIS form I-129F. And you file this petition to classify these individuals as immediate relatives and to prove that they are in fact your relative and because they're your relative that they qualify for what is called an immigration benefit and the immigration benefit here that we're talking about is eventually is an immigrant visa and then eventually a green card to be able to come to the United States as a permanent resident and to reside here and the first step is filing that petition with US Citizenship and Immigration Services that step really has not been impacted at all due to COVID. It, also known as USCIS. So we can shorten that. Yes. USCIS. And we have seen no, little to no impact on processing of I-130 petitions. In fact, we've seen a lot of these go way faster than normal. Yeah, I COVID. suspect, you know, there was a lot of people that maybe didn't file during COVID because they weren't sure what the timelines were like, or if they should start their case. Um, and so we've actually seen faster processing times for these cases in, in a lot of instances. Yeah, I think pre-COVID, the standard processing time for an I-130 petition was six to eight months. Is And I still tell people that because that's, you know, our experience. Yeah. But we've had several recently within three, one to three months get approved, which it's insanely yeah, fast. That, that happens. Um, and, and there's also the, the outside chance that you could be one of the people that it takes over 12 months to process. So it's very hard to gauge. A lot of it depends on what service center your petition ends up at. And you can't really choose that. Um, what happens when you submit that application is it's sent to a USCIS lockbox. And USCIS determines which of their several service centers that your petition is going to end up being processed at. Um, and if it's one of the ones with lengthy processing times, you're just sort of out of luck. You can't apply to transfer it. There's nothing you can really do. Um, you or could it goes to a good service center right. and then you get a transfer notice. And you're like, what? Yeah, sometimes it'll get transferred from, you may have like a six-month processing time and, and get a transfer notice that your application has been moved to a service center that's got an 18-month processing time. So there's really no way to game that system. Um, once you submit your application, you're at the mercy of USCIS and where they're going to place your petition. Typical government agency uh, and whoever's desk it lands on to has a lot to do with it, I think. Uh, so processing there with USCIS 
based on our experience with what we've been seeing is normal, if not a little bit faster, I would say. So once USCIS has approved your petition, you will be issued an approval notice. That approval notice will also be sent to what is called the National Visa Center, or what we refer to as the NVC. And that's the second step in processing for an immigrant visa. The National Visa Center is going to require much of the same documents that were required by U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. There's a little bit of a difference, though. So USCIS is determining the what they call the bona fides of the relationship. Is it a real relationship out of love, or is this a relationship for immigration benefits? That's what they're trying to determine at the USCIS level. That's really it. At the MVC level, they're going to do a more thorough examination. They're going to look at the birth certificates. They're going to look at the marriage certificates. They're going to verify identity documents. Is this really this person? Is this really that person? Did they get divorced before they got married? Did they get a legal marriage? Are all of the documents that have been provided the proper documents as per the Department of State classification of these documents? And, and there's background checks conducted as well. So you're going to be submitting... In most instances, a police certificate from the country you live in and possibly other countries where you've lived during your lifetime. Um, and they're going to conduct background checks on youth with all of these agencies and international agencies as well to make sure that you are not a criminal. That you're admissible, what they call admissible to the United States. Is there anything in your background that is going to prevent you from entering the United States or disqualify you from entry to the United States? So that's the NBC's job is to ver document identification, identity document uh, identification, as well as background. They're going to look into your background. You're also going to, uh, prior to your interview, uh, so once the MVC has all your documents, they verify them, they all check out, they're going to do what is, they're going to classify your case as what is called documentarily qualified, meaning they're done with it. And as, essentially, they've approved it at their level. They're also going to do income right? Income verification. Oh, right. They're going to check out the, to make sure that the U.S. citizen has enough income or assets to support the, the intending immigrant. Or, and verify whether or not you need a co-sponsor. So income verification happens at this stage, as well as immigrant intent. You have to have immigrant intent. In other words, are you planning on residing permanently in the United States? Do you, do you have a domicile or intent to domicile in the United States? That is part of this this MVC check as well. Once they've checked all of that off, they have received all the documents that are required. They will do what is called documentary qualification. You'll become documentarily qualified. Once you're documentarily qualified, then what they will do is notify the consulate that they have approved all of your documents. Everything looks in order. And now you're ready for interview. And they will... Then notify, in this case, if you're in Canada, every immigrant visa, no matter where you live, if you are on the West Coast or the East Coast or in between, they're processed in Montreal. They will notify Montreal that your case is ready. And then Montreal will then schedule that individual for the next available interview. And when if, Jeremy says Montreal, he doesn't mean the city of Montreal. He's referring to the U.S. consulate in Montreal. Um, which is in a specific agency. It's a department. It's part of the Department of State here in the United States. 
Um, there's consulates throughout the world and the one in Canada that happens to do all the immigrant visa processing is located in Montreal. There's consulates in Toronto and Vancouver and other cities, but that's the only one that does immigrant visa processing for the whole country. Yeah, so you might, so you have to plan to travel uh, if, if you don't live there to, to attend your interview. And in addition to that, the consulate does require additional items before you'll process for your interview. One of them is a medical examination. And prior to your interview, they'll give instructions as to where you can obtain that medical medical exam. You can't just go to your primary care physician to do that. They have what are called civil surgeons that are qualified to conduct these medical exams and make sure that you have the proper vaccinations. And there's nothing medically in your history that prevents you from entering the United States. And they will then notify you when that next available interview uh, is available for you to, to then go and be interviewed. And for that consular interview, the only individual that attends that interview is the intending immigrant. In other words, the non-citizen, non-U.S. citizen spouse or loved one is who attends that interview. Uh, the spouse, the U.S. citizen spouse is not allowed to attend that interview. An attorney's not allowed to attend that interview. Nobody's allowed to attend that interview other than that intending immigrant. And they should go, come prepared with original copies of all evidence that was submitted in support of their, their application at that interview. And that's where we get to how COVID is impacting this process. Once you have been documentarily qualified with the MVC, then there's a significant wait time. It used to be that once you were documentarily qualified with the MVC, you would get your interview within two to three months. So yeah, the entire two to three months. Yeah. So the entire immigrant process, including USCIS, the MVC, and consular processing, we were seeing people take ten to twelve months total, and then you're approved and you're in the United States. And you've been issued your immigrant visa, and there, and eventually you get your green card upon entry. Now, we are seeing sig- significant delays in the time you get your interview after you've been documentarily qualified from the NBC. There was actually a conference call this past week with the consulate in Montreal, and they, according to them, they are saying that they're processing immigrant visas for spouses and children and fiancés that were documentarily qualified in May of 2020. So that is about a one-year backlog to get an interview. That's according to them. According to us and what we've been seeing with cases, I just had a client approved this week whose case was, uh, or, or who received an interview this week whose case was documentarily qualified in September. So Yeah, and I've had people... Um, approved this week who were documentarily qualified in August of 2020. So so there's a little bit of discrepancy in the data that they are providing but and, and I, what we're seeing. You know, seeing. I think they're being conservative just yes. in case they probably haven't processed all the cases from May. So they have to speak to the, the ones that are taking the longest. But our experience is that they're a little, they're a few months ahead of that. Yeah. So for the standard cases. So I, w- I would say a six to 12 month delay, depending on where you fall in that spectrum. Yeah. So we're seeing something in that range for processing these cases. Um, now, when you show up, eventually get that interview, one of the big problems is you've been waiting a significant period of time. Whereas before, it would, you know, 10 to 12 months. It, it, 
now it's two years. It could be two years before you get that interview. So your evidence becomes stale. What you've submitted, whether they be financial records, whether they be proof it's of old your evidence. News. They want they want new evidence. So that's that's all old news. They're they're glad that you got your medical done. They're glad that you got your police certificate and submitted that. But if those things are not provided within the time and typically it's one year after you get your police certificate, it you'll expires. have to get a new one before you attend your interview. Um, if you go to your interview and you, you have stale dated documents, they'll just advise you to submit them, but that adds an extra layer to this process. It could delay your processing even more. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're aware of what documents you need to get updated before you attend the interview. If you've been one of these people that's impacted by this delay. And if it's a case where they have to determine whether or not this is a real relationship and your evidence is over a year old, they're going to expect you to have updated photographs, updated bank statements, updated utility bills, updated evidence that you are still in a, in a bona fide relationship. It, and then typically the longest period of time that this immigrant visa is issued is six months. And that's determined on these documents. So if you have a police certificate that's only valid for two more months, they will only issue your immigrant visa. Oh yeah, for I've had two I've months. had a client recently that happened to they they went to their uh, first of all they forgot that they had to quarantine. They were in the U.S. and returned to Canada for their immigrant visa interview um, about a week before their interview was scheduled and forgot that they had to quarantine for two weeks before they could leave their house. So. <laughs> They ended up uh, having to delay their interview, which um, they got quickly rescheduled. Actually, I was surprised within a few weeks after that. Um, but when they attended their when they attended their interview, um, you know, they had a police certificate that was set to expire within three days after the interview. Um, and the officer basically told them, "Listen, I can either wait and get you, you guys send me a new police certificate, or I can issue this visa for three days." Yeah. And you have to get into the United States in three days. Well, they chose to get the quick visa and, and uh, make the air entry to the United States within three days, which uh, happened and everything went smoothly. But they can't issue it for any longer than the documents. For, same, same thing if your passport's set to expire, they can't issue it for any longer than the validity period of your passport. So you got to make sure your passport's up to date, your medical police certificate are up to date, and you have all the financial and evidence of your relationship that you need at that interview in order for things to go smoothly. Yeah, and it's all current. You don't want to give them any excuses to delay processing or uh, cut your visa short. Right, because then, then your application's sitting on someone's desk again, and you're, you're at their mercy. So you may send in your evidence. For example, I had someone send in their evidence a week later, but they didn't make a decision on their case until four or five weeks after that. And they were, they were upset and nervous because they, the consular officer was holding onto their passport. So they couldn't even travel to visit their, their spouse at the time. And it was um, a real headache. So you want to make sure that when you go to this interview, you're prepared and you have everything you need. And you brought up a good point about quarantine and restrictions due to COVID. So we do have some candidates our clients who are in the U.S. vacationing right now while they're waiting for their interview to be called up. So you have to plan accordingly. If you have to go back into Canada to attend your interview, you may have to quarantine before that interview. And in some of these cases, we're seeing they're only giving a 30-day notice. 
So you need to get back as quick as possible, set out your quarantine, get your medical and get to your, your interview on time. And in addition, Canada is implementing stricter and stricter rules for travel. Yeah, so, even interprovincial travel. So you got to be careful because if you're, if you're returning from the United States, you've got to serve your two week quarantine in your province of residence. And then you need to get to Quebec for your interview. Well, Quebec, you know, may have quarantine rules or border closures that you're not aware of. So you got to check into that before you travel. Um, it could impact your decision to maybe return, maybe return to Quebec and quarantine there before your interview. Um, but that's something you definitely need to take into consideration these days. Yes. And I've spoken to two clients who have interviews coming up soon in Montreal. One of them was able to travel without issue to Montreal. The other one, there are new restrictions that are coming into place and they're, they're concerned about their ability to get there in time for their interview because Canada, again, keeps implementing stricter and stricter rules due to, to COVID. So those are things you need to take into account. You can't uh, just show up for your interview the day of uh, like you used to be in the past. COVID has impacted your ability to do that in a timely manner due to all of these restrictions. So you must be aware of those. Um, but And we've also seen people change course, change their direction, right? Because of this significant delay to get your interview at the consulate, they've decided, you know what? We don't want a consular process anymore. We want to adjust status. We want to skip this wait. We want to go to the United States and we just want to apply for it within the U.S. and stay and wait, do our wait time in the U.S. And you got to be careful if you do that because you've already established that you have intent to immigrate to the United States. And we get calls about that on a regular basis where people say, hey, I'm going to go visit the United States. And then once I'm there, I don't want to leave. And I don't want to go back to Canada because of all of these crazy restrictions. And, and the delays. And I've been waiting for six months for my consular interview and I'm frustrated. And I just want to be with my my husband or my wife. And it, and it can be done, but it has to be done properly. If you're entering the United States, when you enter as a Canadian, you're entering as a as a visitor. So your intent must be to return to Canada. If it's not, they could refuse your entry into the United States for having what is called immigrant intent because you don't have an immigrant visa at that time. You just have a visitor visa. To immigrate properly, you actually have to attend your interview and at the consulate, be issued your immigrant visa, then enter the United States because that immigrant visa then allows you to enter to stay permanently. So people want to shortcut that process, but you got to be careful. You, you need to make sure you do it correctly because if not, it can be seen as fraud. You enter the United States as a visitor and now you want to immigrate. You lied to that border officer or you lied to the consular officer who issued your visa or, or whoever it might have been that inspected you prior to entry to the United States. What did you tell them? Did you tell them you were coming to the United States to get a green card? Or did you tell them you were going to Disneyland? What, what was that conversation like? How did you enter the U.S.? Did you enter alone? Did you enter with your spouse? All of those things come into play. Did you have a round trip ticket? If you did, when did you cancel that round trip ticket or did you cancel it? So all of these factors would come into play if you decide to change course and come to the United States and, and I guess, quote, skip that 
that those delays. Well, frankly, you are. I mean, if you're entering the United States with the intention to emigrate to the United States and you tell an officer that you're just coming as a visitor, you actually are. You're misrepresenting your your intention on entering. So you really have to have that intention to come as a visitor and to leave the United States and return to Canada um, when you enter. Otherwise, yeah, your your case is misrepresented. You've misrepresented and the um, officer who's deciding your case at the end of the day will have every right to deny it. So if you are coming to the United States, it needs to be for a valid non-immigrant reason. Uh, maybe you haven't seen your spouse in a, some time. Maybe you're, you are going to Disneyland. Maybe you're going down to Florida to escape the weather because it just snowed again this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what month are we in? Is this April? Yeah. And it's snowing. It's a long winter. Uh, so there are many reasons, valid reasons you could go to the United States while this is pending with every intention to return to Canada. But while you're in the United States, you decide, you know what, I can't take it anymore and I want to stay. Well, plenty of our clients have, I mean, ones that have done this have called us and changed their mind and said, hey, listen, I, you know, I came to visit. I have this consular application processing and I, I can't wait for my interview anymore. What I'm not going back because I don't know when, you know, I don't know when I'm going to be able to to get back here again with these quarantines and the border being closed and the issues I have with traveling to the United States. I can't be separated from my family anymore. Um, so I, I really need to take the step to, you know, I've changed my I mind. I've yeah. ta- I need to take the step to, to process here in the United States because we can't be apart any longer. And I actually had a friend call this week who this applies to. She's a U.S. citizen. And her parents, she's filed an I-130 petition for both of her parents, and they're from the Philippines. And they are here on a legitimate visit. They came to visit her in the United States. She hasn't seen them for for a while. Uh, they're, they're here. And due to COVID and other reasons, they really don't want to go back to the Philippines. She's already filed the petition for them. And she was inquiring about, okay, now how, how do we keep them here? What do we do? Uh, it's been called up at the MVC because it's it was approved and it actually was approved. I think it was the day that they entered the United States, so they didn't know it. It was in the process of being approved, and it there is a delay between approval and you knowing because then you get the notice, and the notice showed I think six showed up six days after they'd entered the U.S. So she said, "Well, it's been approved now. Now what? Can we just do this here in the United States?" since they're here or do they have to go back to the Philippines and process in the Philippines? So the answer is yes, you can do it in the United States. They legitimately entered for a purpose of visit and it was approved after they entered the United States. So as long as that is done correctly, they can then file for adjustment while they remain in the United States without the need to travel back to the Philippines and consular process. That option only applies to certain family members though. So for example, brothers and sisters that that option's not available um, because of visa backlogs right the visa backlogs so for example i sponsored I'm, I'm a canadian citizen and i sponsored my brother back in 2009 and he's still waiting so it's a 14 year backlog right now for siblings so that that process of of coming to the us and processing here it's not available to siblings it's also not available to um, people being sponsored by uh, permanent residents so some cases, permanent residents of the United States can sponsor family members. They're not citizens yet, 
but they want to bring their family here. They can spouse and children only spouse and children only. So they can bring their spouse and children, but they can't process here in the United States. In most cases, they would need to go through that consular process unless it's current. So if you've been waiting all 14 years and you happen to be in the U S and it's approved and your priority date is what is called current, then you can adjust while you're here. As long as you do it within the validity of your visa, if you are a parent of a U.S. citizen or spouse of a U.S. citizen, then there are exemptions to that where you can overstay a visa and still adjust. And there are no those those cases are not subject to this visa bulletin or visa backlog that, that we're talking about. So they can immediately adjust without those restrictions on them. So yes, you need to, there are there are a lot of rules that apply. You need to be careful. You need to be aware of them. You have to file within certain windows of time to do it validities of visa backlogs for visas all of these things all these factors come into play when you're doing this thank you for joining us for today's episode of the arrive podcast if you haven't already please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts give us a five-star rating and join us next time as we continue to discuss u.s immigration law topics thank you for listening and have a great day